You're listening to The Marketing Funnel Show, episode number 76. Have you ever seen a celebrity or leader's audience following and wondered, how the heck did they get all these people to follow them, to trust them, and to believe in them? Well, today we're going to talk about the principle of unity and how you can use it to build a dedicated audience following in your own business. Welcome to the Marketing Funnel Show. I'm your host, Michelle Evans, and this is the podcast for coaches, experts, and online business owners to learn how to go from simply surviving to sold out using the power of marketing funnels. All right, let's jump into today's show. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another great week. And thank you for letting the Marketing Funnel Show be a part of your week. Hey, I've got to ask you, have you taken a moment to jump into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts to leave a rating and a review for the show? If so, thank you so much. That is how we signal to those platforms that people are listening to the show. And if you've done that, I want to send you a free gift. Hello, freebies. Uh, So all you have to do to get that free gift is send me a screenshot of your review to michelle at michellelevans.com and I will give you access to a free course that I created. It's a super fast and simple course, but it's super, super valuable. Like the fast and simple ones, I feel like are the ones that we can actually get done, right? This one's called the One Sentence Marketing Hook, and you can do it in about like an hour to an hour and a half. And it really helps you come up with your one sentence to hook and engage your audience into what you stand for and what you offer. And all you have to do is let me know and you are in. So today, my friend, thank you for joining because we are wrapping up our series on using Dr. Robert Cialdini's principles of persuasion in your marketing funnel. Hopefully you've been with us since the beginning. We started this series way back in episode number 70. If you haven't been with us since then, that's all right. You can always go back and listen. But if you have, you're probably ready to wrap this up and really start using all of these great principles in your marketing funnel. So as we've been talking about in the last six episodes, Robert Cialdini first introduced his original six principles of persuasion in his book called The Psychology of Persuasion. I feel like this book is almost like ancient history. It came out back in 1984. And yes, These have stood the test of time. They've been tested and tested. And honestly, these are really interwoven into how marketing is done. In fact, it's hard sometimes for people who've studied and done marketing for a long time for us to remember sort of where these came from because they're so interwoven into so much of marketing. But the original six principles are these. Number one, social proof. Number two, reciprocity. Number three, commitment and consistency. Number four, liking. Number five, authority. And number six, scarcity. And I go in depth in episodes 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, and now in 76 into each of these individually. Because, you know, if we try to tackle all these in one episode, we'd be here for like, I don't know, an eternity. So much better to just break them up. And then you can listen to them at your leisure and, you know, go back and review the highlights that you want to review. So Dr. Cialdini's book, 
first came out back in 1984. And again, like that seems like ancient history at this point. But the good news is that those original six principles, they still work today because hello, we're still humans, right? Basic human psychology has not changed since 1984, right? It hasn't changed for a long time. But what has changed is how you and I, how we interact with one another because there's so many more options to interact with one another, right? I mean, back in 1984, it was the telephone, which was connected to a wall. (laughs) It was in person, like walking over to your neighbor's house and knocking on the door. It was, you know, in the workplace. Like, they're just, there weren't, uh, yeah, people had cell phones, but they were the size of like a shoebox. And it was for the ultra uber wealthy, um... I don't know. Did they even have them in 1984? Maybe it wasn't until later in the 80s. I don't know. I I just remember in 1984, I was a child, but it was like, you know, it was in person, uh, hopefully on the telephone if you could get somebody or nothing. Um, And so how we can interact with one another now is so different and so much more diverse and so much more integrated into who we are and, and, you know, how we express ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, we needed to, or Dr. Cialdini, have we, like, like I was part of this, right? But Dr. Cialdini needed to evolve his principles of persuasion. So in September of 2016, he released a new book called Presuasion, A Revolutionary Way to Influence and Persuade. In his latest book, Dr. Cialdini describes a new seventh principle that he called unity. So those first six principles still stand. They still work. But the seventh principle that he rolled out is called unity. So let's dive into unity because, again, when you match up all of these principles of persuasion with your marketing funnel, boy, can you create a profit engine that really attracts students, clients, customers, you know, whoever you sell to for years to come so that you can get profit without worry in your business. So what is this principle? Well, have you ever been to a party or a conference and met somebody that went to like the same university as you did or is from your same hometown or maybe you two previously worked for the same company or you belong to the same like, I don't know, rotary or something. You kind of get this instant connection, right? Well, that's the principle of unity in action. If you can ever kind of tap into one of those where you're on vacation and you bump into somebody who's from your hometown, you're like, hey, you know, when we were at Disneyland um, last year, we saw some people wearing Seahawks gear and it was like, hey, are you from Seattle or are you just Seahawks fans? You know, and it's like you feel that instant connection. It's like, yeah, we're 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 together. We're, we're the same. We like the same things. And again, that's unity in action. And if you've ever wondered why big name influencers share personal details about their lives or I don't know why content marketing works, things like blogging and podcasting and making videos and doing Facebook lives, stuff like that, or why, I don't know, reality TV, like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, The Biggest Loser, um, you know, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, like there's just so many reality TV shows out there, right? Why are these all so popular? It's because... At some deeper level, we find a person or a people on there where we feel a connection with them. 
either a love connection, like, oh yeah, that's totally like me, or, oh, I hate them, I'm totally against that, right? It's like the we're together or we're not together kind of thing. And we feel like we're either rooting for them or against them. And that is powerful. It creates community. It creates a sense of us versus them. It creates a sense of belonging, which again, deepens a connection between you as a leader and your audience. And what Cialdini discovered is that the more we see people as similar to ourselves, the bigger the chance we can be influenced by them. And the more our audiences can see themselves as similar to us, so the more your audience sees you as like them, the more they're going to be influenced by you. That's why sharing your journey, sharing your story, sharing, you know, times of failure, it's why it's so important. Because when you warm up your audience, your audience sees, oh my gosh, (laughs) you're just like me. Uh, You've been in my shoes. You understand me. It is so important. It does create this unity. And in his updated book, Dr. Cialdini describes how unity is really made up of two parts. So the first part is this perception of being together. So this is, again, about that shared identity, like family, race, religion, nationality, political preference, you know, college affinity, high school affinity, hometown affinity, um, you know, I don't know, groups like, I don't know, Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, that kind of stuff. The most important piece here is that people feel connected towards one another. When unity of identity is reached, when we feel like, yep, we're all kind of belong to the same thing, there will be more acceptance, more cooperation, more sympathy, more help, more trust, which results in more agreement. The most powerful example of this type of unity is being in the same family. I mean, look, Game of Thrones is just kicking back up, right? Just watch Game of Thrones to see family unity in action, even when the family is literally crazy, right? Who doesn't love to hate Cersei? But, you know, the family (laughs) sticks together even when they hate one another. So for the most part, and so in a fictional story like Game of Thrones, in history, like War of the Roses, in our everyday lives, like, I don't know, keeping up with the Kardashians, uh, when it, or like The Voice, or any of those, um, you know, America's Got Talent, or any of those talent shows, people go to great lengths. They even risk their own lives to help genetically close relatives. I mean, I've seen on America's Got Talent, I've seen family units do the most insane things like, you know, walking tight ropes after an uncle has fallen off and died. Like they're getting on and doing it. This brother and sister team, he was like flipping her around by her hair um, on roller skates. I mean, they'll do anything because they trust one another. And it's really, really crazy. So you know, we can understand that when you, you know, are genetically close with one another, when you're in a family unit. But what happens when you're trying to influence strangers or at least people who aren't blood relatives? It's possible to use family driven unity, even when you are trying to influence people who are not your own blood relatives. This is crazy. 
because, you know, you and I, we can understand, you know, the lengths that you would go to for somebody that you love or somebody that you feel, you know, you're part of a family or you're committed to or whatever. But how do you use, how do you get that same sort of thing in somebody who's completely not related to you? Well, a powerful example that Cialdini used um, was his own college classroom to illustrate this phenomenon. Um, and it's, and it's, it's trying to influence strangers or at least people who aren't blood relatives. And it's possible to use family-driven unity even when you are trying to influence people who aren't your own relatives. So, uh, one, so he has a couple examples. So the first one I'm going to tell you about is from his college classroom. And he wanted to illustrate how he could influence the parents of students within his classroom. And so Cialdini used his own college classroom to show this phenomenon. And he wanted to compare compliance attitudes of students and their parents by having both fill out questionnaires. So in the first go round, he basically said, you know, hey, fill these out. And I'm sure it's no surprise to you that a student would happily fill out a questionnaire for their professor because hello, they don't wanna get a bad grade and they're not gonna ignore some homework assignment from a professor because they know that that can lead to bad consequences for them personally, especially if it's just a simple survey to fill out. Like this was not something that was onerous. It, it didn't take a long time to do. But parents on the other hand, you know, when Cialdini sent it to them, pfft, their typical response was whatever, like it was below 20%. They were just like, I don't have time for this. I mean, why should they even bother? They're not getting a grade. There was nothing in it for them. So Cialdini used the unity principle to make one small tweak to this assignment. And with this one small tweak, he increased the parent response rate by five times. So it went from 20% to 97%. So what was this one simple intervention? Well, Cialdini said that he would give the parent's child one extra point on one test if the parent simply completed and returned the survey. Okay, think about this for a minute with me. One point on one test. Like, you go from an 80 to an 81 on your midterm. Look, you and I have taken tests before. We've taken tests in high school, and if you went to college, you took a test there too. You know as well as I do that it's pretty rare that, that one point on one test will make uh, any difference on your final grade for a course. But because of this tiny insignificant advantage that a parent could give to their child, Cialdini got an almost perfect response rate. That is crazy. And, you know, if you were to think about it, like, you know, when you, if you have an offer where you can offer a friends and family thing, like, you know, if you refer a, a friend or a family member and they get something and you get something, how much higher of referrals could you get just using this same sort of principle? Because that is crazy. And, you know, again, unless you're tutoring or working with students, you probably aren't going to be reaching out to their parents, but you can definitely use this powerful unity principle. And again, one way to use this is with family language. By using family-related language, you can invoke 
this same effect in a really powerful way. So even if you're not offering like a friends and family you know, benefit or discount or anything like that, you can still invoke the same sort of boost in, I don't know, engagement, in getting excitement, all that kind of stuff, simply by using this thing called family language. So let's take a look at at an example from Warren Buffett. So you know who Warren Buffett is, right? He's like the investing genius. He's a master of investing for sure, but he's also a master of communication. And a big concern of investors, because, you know, Warren Buffett's getting pretty old now. And a big concern of his investors has has been for the last few years is what happens to Buffett's firm, Berkshire Hathaway, when he's not around anymore, or at least when he's not in charge. So... in a particularly important letter to shareholders regarding his succession plans, Buffett could have easily said, you know, we've had a committee look into this and, you know, we have a whole team of lawyers working on this and here's our 18 point plan. But instead he said, I will tell you what I would say to my family today if they asked me about Berkshire's future. With that language, Cialdini says, Buffett was highly convincing because he said he was advising readers in the same way that he would advise a family member. So he was invoking that family language. And when you pair that type of language with Warren Buffett's history of being trustworthy, the content of the letter not only was it highly convincing, but it really settled everyone's nerves. Like every, everybody, not only were they convinced, but they were like, ah, oh, he's taking care of me. And it was really fascinating because you would think that his investors, like these are people who care about their bottom line. They care about getting a return on their investment. You know, they've, they've invested their money with Warren Buffett, more so than his firm. And so he's treating them in a manner that builds trust and builds this family-like relationship. And so he talks to them like that. And you know what? That whole investment community, they reacted so positively to the letter. And again, this is a community that is pretty skeptical about absolutely everything in life. They're always looking for what's the angle, what's the deal, you know, what should I be weary of here? Like, there's just, there's so much that they're always on alert for. And as a community, they praised it as Buffett's best shareholder letter ever. And I don't know if you've ever been to a shareholder event in uh, early in my career, I was an investor relations manager for a bank for five years, and I've been to a lot of shareholder events. And I can tell you that that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> Shareholders don't usually, you know, go bananas over a letter that you send out like that. And so this had to be, this had to really settle people down and and really hit the nail on the head. And it's from using this family language. And you, you see, if Buffett had simply laid out his succession plans in, you know, his 18 point factual language from the attorney, it would have been, I don't even want to say less effective. It, I don't even think 
I think it probably would have led to a revolt. It would have seemed cold, calculated. It would have been like, where did, uh, look, they're taking over. It's just like what I feared. As soon as he goes away, you know, the vultures are going to come in there. I can't trust this anymore. But since Warren Buffett invoked his family language dynamic, his community, the investment community that he built that trusts him, they believe that he had done his work to lay out a foundation to continue on with the type of work and investment strategy that he's always done. And you know what? You and I, we can do the same thing in our business. For example, you might say, here's what I here's what I would advise my children to do. Or if you were my mom, or if you were my sister, or if you were my dad or my brother or what, you know, whatever, here's what I'd tell you. Using words like sister, brother, child, kids, daughter, son, mom, grandparents, or whatever is appropriate depending on the age and the situation of your audience, that can go a really long way toward connecting and creating a sense of unity. All right, so that's the first part of unity is that, you know, feeling of belonging. So now let's take a look at the second part of unity. So when a group works together, They are united and will literally form a unit. This can then lead toward mutual sympathy and support. One of the most remarkable examples of this type of unity, and I got this directly from Presuasion, Dr. Cialdini's newest book, it comes from wartime Japan. And I didn't know this story before I read it in his book, but it's a really interesting story. So in 1941, the Japanese... um, didn't follow the lead of their Nazi allies by brutalizing Jews. I had always assumed it's because there weren't many Jews in Japan, but that's not the case. It was due, in par- at least in part, to a Jewish scholar making a single persuasive statement to Japanese leaders when they were debating the issue. And this Jewish scholar simply said, we are Asian like you. Let that sink in for a minute because that shifted the mindset of the leaders and they rejected the pressure to adopt Nazi tactics towards Jews. This simple act of showing that they shared an identity that was bigger than religious differences, it saved countless lives. It it was creating an us versus them identity of of Asian versus not Asian, an in-group versus an out-group, even amongst allies. And these share, this shared identity can be genuine and authentic, or they can be a, a bit cringy, as you know, sometimes we see in politics especially. These, these um, identities can be cringy, but when they're genuine and authentic, boy, they can be really powerful. And once you notice this technique, you're going to start to see it everywhere. You'll definitely see it with politicians. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of their bread and butter is the us versus them, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, they'll talk about loving Harley Davidson motorcycles or eating fast food or whatever their audience loves doing. It can also be a really fun way to call to your audience. 
Um, take, for example, this really fun example from Chubby's Shorts. If you've never heard of them before, they're so funny. It's a company that's all about creating, they have shorts. And their hilarious antagonism towards cargo shorts, pants, and the office is so worth reading. So here's an excerpt from their website manifesto, and I'll link to it on today's show notes, because it is a fantastic example of using the unity principle, and it's going to make you laugh too, but this is this is like the non-cringeworthy way to do it, right? So this is from the Chubby's website. I'll just read it to you. It says, we love shorts. To us, Pants are a necessary evil, built for the work week because your boss just doesn't get it. You see, a chubster in pants or cargo shorts, and he looks like a fish out of water. A radical fish that's probably crumping on the beach, but nonetheless out of water. But this exact passion for shorts is why chubbies are so righteous. We don't do pants. We don't do cargos. We don't do capris. We don't do shorts. We have put painstaking effort into these shorts. We have engineered them for the toughest shorts critics ourselves. Okay, it goes on and on, but you can see like they're creating this us versus them. They're saying, you know, we're against pants. We're against cargo shorts. We're against capris. We're against short shorts. Like we're into chubbies. <laughs> we're, we're into chubby shorts. And it's so funny. And they really live it too. If you go through their website, they just like, it's just a brand that I absolutely love because they were so unapologetic apologetically who they are and their fan base is fanatically their fan base. So there is such a fun way to do this. And I think for you and I in running our own businesses, we can learn a lot from this. And if we go back to um, my friend, Michelle Mazer, to her whole idea of the three word rebellion, like that's where this comes in is really creating this sense of unity and really calling forth your audience of what you stand for and what this is all about. All right, another way to create unity is through co-creation. People who are involved in the creation of something feel better about it. They see themselves almost merging with the creation and feel an insider part of it. So let's take a look at a company that was doing market research for a new fast casual restaurant concept called Splash. Randomly chosen consumers were shown a description of the concept and asked for feedback, but the exact language varied. A survey taker might get asked for advice, they might get asked for opinions, or they might get asked for expectations. Now, for you and I, those three words might not sound that different. Advice, opinions, or expectations. The final question of the survey, though, was how likely the consumer would be to visit a splash. Those asked for advice were significantly more likely to answer positively. Asking for advice put the survey taker in a togetherness frame of mind. They were helping to create this new concept, not just commenting on it. And I have to I have to say, you know, if you're thinking of creating something new in your business, if you're thinking of a new offer or you know, just a new something that you're doing in your business, or you're looking for feedback on what you're currently doing, you might want to use that word advice. Ask your audience for their advice. 
because again, it puts them in that unity frame of mind. It, it, it gets them to that, like they're co-creating this with you so that they're more bought into the concept and they might be more willing to, you know, do something versus just uh, commenting on it. So now that we've gone through this, I would love to hear how you're going to find a way to create unity with your audience. What's, you know, what's a situation that you can use? What's a shared experience? What verbiage can you use to find a factor that will unite you? Will you create a manifesto? Will you take a look at Michelle Mazur's book and, and think about your three-word rebellion? Will you, you know, have some us versus them kind of mentality? I'd love to know what comes up for you because it's, it, it can be really fun when you approach it, um, not in so much of a, like us versus them, but like a, just a, a fun, like, how can I really call forth my audience and how can I be unified with them? So I'd love to hear what comes up for you. So hit me up on social media or just email me. I'm Michelle at MichelleLEvans.com. I love to hear from listeners just like you so that together we can create a podcast that's valuable, that's helpful, and that gets you on the road to the marketing insights that you want to grow your business. So as you were listening to this, did you think of someone who could use these insights about persuasion pillars? They're super, super powerful in building a solid business that grows a committed buyer audience, right? If so, would you do both of us a big favor and share this episode with them? It's super easy to, to do from whatever podcatcher you're listening on, or you can just share the URL for today's show, which is at themarketingfunnelshow.com forward slash 76, and your friend can listen right there. Also, do you want to profit without worrying your business? You are invited to find out which marketing funnel is right to grow your business. Just go to michellelevans.com forward slash quiz to take the quick quiz and I'll show you exactly how to get started. You can experience for yourself exactly how the persuasion pillars work so that you can put them to use in your own business. All right, I hope that you have a really amazing week and I'll see you back here next week same time, same place on another great episode of The Marketing Funnel Show. See you then.